Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at our final verses here in this beautiful, amazing gift from God in the letter to the Philippians. Just, just four small, small chapters, and we, we have been so served by God's Word in, these, in this series. The, this is our 19th message and final message here in the book of Philippians in this series. I told someone this week just how, how wonderful it's been uh, to just slowly take our time to hear from God's Word, and I kind of feel like, like an amazing music album that you just want to rewind and then listen to it all over again, probably showing my age, rewind, like <laughs> rewind, skip to the beginning, loop, album, whatever button you push. I want to go back to the beginning and just, just soak back through it all. And of course, we, you do, we will get to it. It's, it's God's Word that's before us at all times. And, and in some ways, we, we get to rewind today because it's as if Paul bookends his final words with several things he has said from the beginning and is themed through this, this letter, this anchoring theme of joyful partnership in the gospel. In chapter 1, he begins the letter with this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He offered prayers of joy, uh, of thanksgiving, because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until then and what was still going on. Remember this beautiful word, partnership, is just a Greek, comes from the Greek word koinonia, where we get the word fellowship, which is, it means partakers or sharers, participation, uh, a sharing in common. And what they were sharing in common was Christ through his gospel. And we see in the very beginning of the church, in the book of Acts, this, is, this was part of their experience. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to koinonia, to the breaking of bread in prayer. So from the beginning of the days of the church through all these other churches being birthed and planted, Paul celebrates this glad this friendship, this friendship of sharing in the grace of God in Jesus. He has said in verse 1, 7, chapter 1, verse 7, that they are partakers with me in grace. He reminds them that they have participation in the Holy Spirit, chapter 2, verse 1. And here in our text, we're going to see twice he talks about they are sharers, or they, they, they participate in his trouble, and they've entered into partnership with them in giving and receiving to meet needs in the advance of the gospel. And all this giving, all this giving flows from what they have experienced in the giving of Christ himself. And we're going to, we're going to look deeply at that this morning. So let's read our verses, and then we will we'll pray. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, 
a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Join me as we pray. Lord, as we, as we open up these, this, this text, this, these final words from Paul to that church in Philippi that are, are so, also words to us today, Lord, I, I, I ask that you would come by your spirit and you would, you would make these words alive to us. And we would, be, we would be made aware of the riches in glory in your son Jesus for us. That, that God, you're, you're supplying through your son, um, Lord, our needs, not only in salvation, but everything else. Lord, there is, there is great, great thanks and joy and confidence to know that, that you're there. And so would you fill us up with joy and certainty in that? Would you make these words alive by your spirit in your name we pray, amen. Now, now, woven over and over through this letter is this idea of Christian sharing, as I've mentioned. And the church there, they were freely given Christ, and they shared in His grace. And because of this, they then gave of themselves to each other. They're giving of their life, they're giving of their time, their, their money, specifically as we see here. They're giving of their, their very hearts to Jesus enable them to in turn to give their life to Jesus' mission of salvation in Philippi and through Paul where he was in Rome. And now Paul comes to these concluding thoughts and a greeting, and he can't help but return again to celebrating this gift of partnership, this, this unique expression of their giving. And he was aware of his needs, he was aware of their needs, and he, he wanted to draw attention to this overflowing supply of God's grace that they, they have been to him and also the very needs they need and have that God will meet endlessly. The power and good of the gospel frees God's people to give. This is what we're going we're gonna to see this morning. We are called to be a giving people to meet the needs of others because our needs are always met by a gracious and giving God. As we think about that we're going to consider three examples of giving. We're going to see Paul's giving, the Philippians' giving, and God's giving. Now, we've looked a lot about Paul, looked into a, a lot of Paul's life through this letter. We've reflected on it, considered it, his example, and his way of reminder how Paul got here to this church. He came to Philippi with a small missionary team, and it was referred to as the, the Macedonian call. Remember, he was traveling through Asia, uh, which was modern day Turkey. And the Spirit forbid them to speak the word there. So they traveled further west. Again, the Spirit did not allow them, Acts tells us. So they, they get near the coast, and Paul has a vision, a dream. And a man was urging them, saying, come to Macedonia and help us. We have, we have needs. Help us. And so Luke tells us in Acts that concluding that vision, they concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Acts uh, in Acts, uh, verse 
10 in Acts 16. And so what did Paul do? He did that. Paul did that. And they go, God opens the heart of this, this woman, this merchant named Lydia, to believe. God delivers a demon-possessed girl, slave girl, and the, the business owners kind of stir the city into an uproar. Paul and Silas are beaten. They're thrown into prison, and they're in stocks. And while they're in stocks, they sing hymns in the middle of the night. There's an earthquake. Chains are broken off. And through all that, the jailer gets saved. They go to his household. They preach the gospel to them. They get saved, and here this, is, this church is planted and birthed. This was the beginning of the gospel that we just read in verse 15. It's what he said in chapter 1, verse 5, the partnership in the gospel from the first day. They arrived, they heard the gospel, they received the gospel. The beginning of their partnership, their friendship, was there. It began began right there in that church planting. And I look back at this story because, and recall it because we need to ask, how, how did the gospel get there? Well, the answer is it came through someone. It came through means. It came through the means of Paul and this team that God sent a person and they went and they gave and communicated and preached the gospel. Paul gave up his comforts, his rights, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord and he went. He gave. He gave. He didn't go there to, to distribute financial uh, donations. He, he went there and gave the good news. He gave this good news of Jesus Christ that he had received from God's, uh, God, God himself. He was giving of his life, which in turn led to the gospel being proclaimed in this city. So Paul, Paul was able to go because God gave, God gave Paul Christ himself. And he, Paul then could give of himself to this measure to others. He received and he gave. He didn't want man's praise. He didn't want anything for it. Paul gave some disclaimers as we saw last week. He just wanted to be sure clear. He's not about money. This isn't about him receiving their offering. But he's content. He's content in whatever condition he is. He wasn't looking for the money, but look how he says in verse 17. Remember, he's there for their progress and joy in Jesus. He says, verse 17, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So even though I'm receiving these gifts, I'm seeking ultimately your fruit in Christ. It's a business metaphor which could say he seeks the profit that accrues to your account. I mean, this is like, this is amazing, right? That their sacrificial offering to support the gospel mission, they're, they're emptying their bank accounts to give to Paul so he has money in his bank account. And, and actually what is happening is their bank account's getting full, filled. It is, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is what Jesus said. Their accounts, their accounts, the, the, the spiritual fruit, the eternal rewards, the spiritual blessings and their bank accounts are being filled up. I love Paul's heart. Even though he's thanking them for giving them money, he's, he's already looking for a chance to turn it back around and encourage and bless them and build them up. Paul's heart continually to give, to give, to give, give back. This is God's design. This is, this is the everyday rhythm of God's people in his church, giving, receiving, giving, receiving. It, it, it happens because of what Jesus has done in the hearts of his people. And that looks, that looks 
like so many different ways. God has designed his church that some have great gifts of, of resources to give towards gospel advancement. Others, it, it, we give with our gifts and acts of service uh, towards the gospel mission. But all of those are needed. All of those are necessary for gospel mission, which then creates this rhythm of giving and receiving for God's people. And it all begins and all continues because of a partnership in Jesus, in Christ. So Paul's giving was an example. Paul's giving was made possible because of the gospel. And Paul's giving wasn't there to give finances, but truly to give and offer the true riches of Jesus Christ. And now we see the Philippians giving. Paul went there giving, and now the Philippians respond in their partnership in giving. And it's not just partnering in the good, it's partnering in the hard. What did, what did he say in verse 14? It was kind of you to, to, to share, to, to participate in my trouble. Paul thanks them for sharing in his trouble. Meaning, they saw his hardship and lack as their own. What a picture of one-heartedness, the, the, the one-minded thing that he's been talking about through this letter. Unity of God's people. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is celebrating, we all celebrate. And this is what they were doing with Paul. What love, what, what intense unity. Now, when Paul left the Philippian church, he traveled out to preach and plant other churches. And he says, no other church entered into a partnership and giving and receiving except you. It was this unique relationship. He, he says, even in Thessalonica, which was his first stop and leaving Philippi, which was about 100 miles away, Acts tells us he was there for about three Sabbaths, so less than a month, and they, they sent two donations to him in that short amount of time. Who, who in the church wants to walk 100 miles twice? Well, four times. To, to do, well, somebody did. Somebody raised their hand and said, I am for this partnership. We got some, we got some servants over here. <laughs> you guys are amazing. I want that kind of partnership. They gave. They gave out of their limitations. They gave out of their weakness. They, they gave because they, they knew Christ gave. And it fueled their giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's encouraging the Corinthian church towards giving towards the needs of the Jerusalem church. And he uses the example of the churches in Macedonia, specifically the Philippians, to encourage those in Corinth to give. And it says that they're, out of their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's astounding. Astounding generosity. Astounding giving. Even out of poverty, there was joy that they were giving their wealth to serve the mission. And so Paul is in extreme gratitude. Remember what he said, I rejoice greatly in verse 10. But more than him rejoicing, he sees this as an expression of worship to God. Paul says these gifts that was sent through Epaphroditus, they were a, a fragrant, look at verse 18, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is language of the Old Testament you see that when like Noah got off the altar, uh, off the ark, and he built a, an altar, and he made sacrifices to worship God. 
Um, it says that that they have sacrificed burnt offerings to God, and they would, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The priests were given detailed and specific instructions for sacrifices, animal sacrifices, for atonement, for worship, uh, prayer, for uh, offerings of thanksgiving, like in Leviticus chapter 2. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Those sacrifices, those acts of worship were pleasing to God, like, a, like an aroma rising to him. And likewise, these gifts given to Paul by the Philippians were, were a pleasing aroma, a, a sacrificial gift, acceptable, pleasing to God. It, it, it was given to Paul, but it rose up to God's sight as an act of worship to him. This is true. Each, each and every act of service or sacrificial gift given in faith towards God is a pleasing worship to Him. Big or small, done in faith towards Him is an act of worship pleasing to Him. And it's why Jesus would draw attention to the widow. Remember the, the mites, those pennies she put in? was a great radical act of worship. Not because of the amount, but because it was sacrificial and because it was done in faith. And therefore it was worship. As I was just studying this week and preparing, I was just struck numerous times with gratitude as I thought about you, Cross of Grace. The, the, the numerous ongoing, regular, faithful acts of worship that happen in and through each of you. It's, it's radical. It's wonderful. It, it, is, it is running sound. It's administration. It's setting up cameras. It's taking care of toddlers. It's serving in communion. It's leading worship. It's, it's the numerous people that serve cultivating community in our community groups and our discipleship groups. It's the endless list of, of quiet, hidden acts, meals that are given, caring for kids, prayers, encouraging texts that are sent. These are all pleasing. It's pleasing aroma and worship to God. It honors Him. And each of those acts, each of those contributions are necessary for gospel mission. And God is pleased, cross of grace. God is pleased I think this is important to remember as well. Paul is seeing and observing this, and he's writing it down in a letter that we now have that will be in God's Word through eternity, right? We hear about this amazing blessing and gifts that they have participated in. But, but in everyday giving and receiving in church ministry, it, 90% of the time things just, just don't, maybe don't get seen. They're, they're not as observable they're behind the scenes. They're not going to be written down in Scripture. And though that may not be seen or recognized, this is the truth, there is one who does see. There is one that does see. There is a divine observation of each and every act of giving and receiving done for Jesus that may be hidden in the background, and God is the one that's honored. God is the one that's pleased. And I do think it's also an opportunity for us to be sure we have eyes to see those things that are going on, and thank God for them and encourage those that we do see doing it, like Paul does. So we see Paul's generous sacrificial giving. We see the Philippians, their ongoing giving. 
But ultimately, what, what Paul draws our attention to is God's giving. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Very well-known verse. You may have that memorized. But this here, church, is a, it's a promise for all of our needs, and it's the foundation and grounding for all of our giving. See the connections. They sent help for Paul's needs. And Paul's needs were, he says, fully supplied, well supplied. Because God supplies every need. They gave them because God gives. This, this is the, the motivation and the power and the promise that turns selfish, inward, proud people, protecting of ourselves because of Jesus, it, it changes us to the, be the ones that will we'll let go, that will give because God is the ultimate giver. Uh, it, ma- it makes us givers. He, you see, if we're, if we're not content in Christ, and he being the source of all of our needs, we will hold tightly to our things or our relationships or our money or our time or our service because we're going to look to them to keep us safe, to keep us happy. And we can't let go of them. We can't let go of them. I heard a humorous story recently from a friend. He was talking about somebody he knew and his, his mom would always tell him when he was a kid to to stop eating like a prisoner. <laughs> Why? Because he was the youngest boy out of several older boys, and they were always taking his food, so he, was, he would eat like this, right? Just, you, know, like, you know, like a starving animal would protect his dinner, defending against his enemies. If we are our own source, if we, if we, if we think this is what is going to keep us happy and protected and well, we, it'll provoke us to circle our wagons and buckle down if you fear no more is going to come in, then, then we won't freely give out. And yet, in Christ, we are free to give because, and be giving people because there is this inexhaustible giving that comes from the person of Jesus and God himself. God gave his son, and if Jesus gave his son and, let go, and Jesus let go of all his privileges and he took on the form of a servant, become obedient even to death on a cross to serve the joy and good of others. He gave himself as this ultimate sacrifice. If he, if he gave, then we can let go. We can let go. I love Ephesians 5 too. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul in Ephesians was, was helping us make this connection of this, this ultimate fragrant offering, this ultimate sacrifice that was reflective of the Philippians' sweet sacrifice to the Lord. It, it was informed by what Jesus had offered of, of himself at the cross. He gave of himself on our behalf. This is an endless supply of giving and grace to meet all of our needs. And if God gave His Son, His one and only beloved Son, for our salvation, for our broken rebellion and lostness, so that we could experience His love and His grace, so that greatest need we had in the gospel was given to us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things to supply all our other needs that we have? 
It does not say that God may supply. It does not say that God sometimes supplies. What does it say? It says God will supply every, every need of yours. What a promise. What a promise. But we forget that. I forget that. I get anxious. I get worried. There was a financial situation this week where I just, I, I just felt my anxiety come up because we're not going to be able to do that. How are we going to do that? Man, I, I just needed, I needed verse 19. Every need, every need. He didn't withhold Christ. How will he not also take care of this? Our God will supply every need of yours, of ours, of yours, of yours. Each one of yours according to His riches in His glory in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. He is for you to be rich. Not in the worldly sense, but knowing that all of the riches of heaven are being poured out on your behalf through Jesus Christ. All of the riches of His glory in Jesus Christ. Jesus willingly embraced His cross so that we who are helpless and poor and needy could know His riches and all His glory in heaven. All of God's glory, all of His power, all of His character, all of His presence, and He opens it up and He pours it out to us. Ephesians tells us, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Strengthened in his immeasurable riches. Provided for in his immeasurable riches. Needs met with his immeasurable riches. Remember Jesus had compassion on the crowd when he was feeding the thousands. And the disciples were the ones that were just all anxious. And, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? We just have these little things. There's too much, there's too much need, Jesus. And I, I don't know how the miracle happened, you know, but I, I, just, I just imagine like this, I just got this basket and I just keep pulling it out. I don't know where it's coming from. It just keep, it keeps coming out. If I think I'm in the bottom of that basket having to supply the need, I'm done for but if I know that God's there supplying the need and it's just endlessly coming, endlessly coming, I, I can give because I know there's going to be more in there. I can let go of my time and my energy and my money to give because I know there's more in there. It's just going to keep coming out. It's just going to keep coming out. And I look to the one who has immeasurable riches for me in Christ Jesus. This frees us. Endless riches frees us to give endlessly. Frees our hearts. And after writing all this good news, it's like Paul can't help but break into worship. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. To Him be glory. Because He's, he's just so good. He's so gracious. He's so kind. To Him be glory. And I love that he, just, he gives us, again, this reminder of our Father. Let us not forget that He is our good Father. Jesus taught us to not be anxious about what we have to eat or what we have to drink or what we have to wear but to know that we have a good Father who loves us. And, he will, and we, if we seek His kingdom, we, we know that all of these things are going to be taken care of. He says, why do you doubt? 
Why do you doubt? Your heavenly Father knows you have these needs so you can ask. I mean, God's glory is on the line here, right? Is he going to fail to make his glory known? Absolutely not. He's, he's, he's there, a promise of his glory forever and ever. How much will he not also respond to his promises to meet every one of our needs? So we can say, yes, he's true. Yes, he gets the glory. Yes, he will come through because that's what he's promised for his glory. So absolutely, practical needs are in view. Necessities of life. We have bills. We have doctor situation. We have cars. We, we have food we need. But consider the context of our Philippian church. They had needs. Paul had been writing about their needs. He'd been charging them, commanding them to move in certain ways. And these are things that we have likewise. God supplying needs. What, what were some of these needs? Love to abound more and more. We need God to supply love for us to abound more and more. Knowledge and discernment to know how to follow and obey. Courage in the face of fear and threats. Strength to suffer well and to endure. Joy in places where discontentment would take our heart out. Thankfulness when grumbling would be excused and feel like it would be okay. Peace in our anxiety. Humility and unity around and in and through the Spirit. The Spirit to awaken our hearts to treasure Jesus above all else. God will supply for our needs for these things. And all our other needs practically in home and food and clothing and relationally. So then if your God, if our God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What need do you have this morning? What is what if maybe you've come in here this morning, it's been weighing on your thoughts, weighing on your heart, pressing on your mind. Will he not supply? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. What needs do you know of or perceive around you that others may have that God may want to use you to meet that need with God's supply that he will supply you with? Maybe there's this hand in the basket to let go. What, what, what God have you do? It liberates us. It liberates us. Liberates us to trust Him for our needs and liberates us to give. So after Paul's praise in verse 20, this, this doxology breaks into, he concludes with some greetings. And he, he greets the saints there. Others that are with him greet the church there in Philippi. They say hello, say what's up. And... And he says this, verse 22, especially those of Caesar's household. This could be one of those things you just kind of glaze over. Remember, Paul is in house arrest. He's in prison in Rome. And he wrote in the beginning of his letter, verse 12, that, that him being there served to advance the gospel so that the whole Roman imperial guard could hear about Jesus. Some of them likely came to faith in Jesus. That and so his access to Caesar's sort of powerful uh, regime, the, the gospel broke in and some were saved. We don't know who or, or how many, but maybe officials, maybe some Roman servants in th there, some special attendants. But some, some in Caesar's household got converted, and these are the greetings that he's giving from these people who have been saved that are now brothers and sisters in the Lord. I mean, consider the encouragement for the Philippian believers finding themselves oppressed from Roman authorities. 
If God breaks in there in the epicenter of Roman power, how much more will God supply for them their needs for gospel witness and gospel advancement? He was doing it there with Paul. He's going to do it there for them. And to remind them that that Paul's exact location is ordained by God for gospel advancement, no matter how hard it feels. And gospel partnership was needed for that gospel advancement. He couldn't do it alone. So right where he was and right where they are is designed by God, and they needed each other to do that advancing, that part of that partnership that he's celebrating. This past week, I was in Kentucky with Josh Montague. We we went to a a Sovereign Grace um, church planting week where we we just talked about mission and church planting and just thought more deeply and strategically about how we can do that as as a denomination and, of course, as a church and I just I was in there that week, but reminded of just what a gift our our family of churches, our denomination is towards this mission, and and I was able to hear from pastors about their story, kind of what's going on in their church, and where God's using them, and just where they they want to move more forward in mission, and and many of them these men know the story of what God had done over the course of this past year with us, and um, and it was amazing just hear them. Just commend Cross of Grace for what, what God did through sending Scott down to Maryland and then Ed O'Mara to go to Italy. And, I, and, and to think about that admiration of them for you, your faith, and what God has done for mission just, just excited my heart all afresh of what God, God has done in and through you. The, the partnership that was really tangible, that was really real, it was giving generously, financially, but as, as we know, that mission, and as Paul knows, part of that is giving people, a giving and receiving of people. And, and last year, you gave, church. You, you, you participated in a giving and receiving in partnership. And that, that act of faith was a fragrant offering and pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. And you're, you're a part of other things as well that make me so thankful and proud. I got an email this week from the churches that we serve in um, Pakistan. And this, I got this letter from one of our leaders there. He, he wrote this, this this past week is the email I got. Last year we organized a group in a village. And the majority of the villagers were worshiping other gods. And they were convinced that their gods were true. In the beginning, they were refusing to listen to the word of God, but slowly, nine families accepted Jesus. And yesterday, six more people got baptized, and they announced their faith, and now their lives are for his glory. He sends me pictures of all these people getting baptized. So we are very thankful to God that these people came to the light. In an earlier message, he wrote this, we are very thankful to God for our long-term relationship with you. Our God has made has many special plans through our relationship. Hear this partnership language? This is the same stuff right here, guys. Right here, right now for us. Thank you for this relationship. In the past years, you have always been our support and a strong pillar. You have always been with us like one body of Christ. One body, partners. Like I just see them like Caesar, Paul and Caesar's little satanic regiment just the gospel breaking through and here we are these brothers and sisters in in the midst of this dark place the gospel breaking 
through. You helped with this, cross of grace. Obviously, we defer. We say, well, yes, it was all the worship and praise to his glory, but he uses means. He uses people who've received the gift of Jesus Christ to give for gospel advancement. Josh, right now, he's in Manila. You might have saw his post today out there networking, trying to connect for more mission. You helped get him there, and he's serving there. Be sure you stop over and give, give, uh, yeah, give his wife just a big old hug and tell her she's amazing. Marianne is a gift. Her giving, you give, Marianne. You give and you release. Yeah, thank God for you. Releasing, giving, because we've been given. Paul had God, uh, God had Paul right where he should be. Right where he should be. Right there in that prison for gospel advancement. And I just think it's helpful for us to think for a moment about where we are. Do you see where, right where you are, also is ordained by God? Your home address God picked that. Your neighbors, God picked that. People around you in your, near your cubicle, God picked that. School, sports teams, you're right where God wants you for gospel advancement. And it's also a reminder that we need partnership and encouragement, as Paul did, as Philippians do, to keep, keep going. Okay, be bold. No, no God's going to supply needs, your needs. He's going to supply courage. He's going to supply His Word, His grace, so that you can you can share his glory, share the good news with those around you. Paul's last words, verse 23, in conclusion, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It mirrors what Paul began with in the very first words of the letter, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is grace of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, beginning and end. Grace through Him, by Him. He says grace to you, meaning, meaning not like a thing, right, but a person. The, the person of Christ in and through you. His grace, His peace, His very person, and all that He does, may, may, may He work in you as instruments of God's grace continuing to give and to receive and to walk worthily of the gospel. Remember, he's writing these to the beloved saints there. He's, he's thinking of Lydia and Epaphroditus and the jailer, Clyde. I wanted to get his name in there one more time. Syntyche, Yodia, the soldiers maybe that were converted in town, the, the deacons, the elders, all the other men and, and women and family members, all of those saints, one-minded, side-by-side, together, these words were to them, and these words are, are to us, to, to me, to you, each one of us, necessary partakers, sharers of God's grace, church. God's grace, grace to you. God's grace comes to us in Jesus, and it comes to, to transform us as a people, to rescue us from our sin, to, to turn us from our proud, selfish-oriented hearts so that we can, we can put, and be, put on and be clothed in humility and love full of joy and sacrifice for others, one-hearted partners for each other, following others, but serving others, giving and receiving 
with radical joy that comes from him. Thankful people, content, not grumbling, but shining his lights in this dark world so that Jesus, as we look to him, that he would increasingly become our treasure. Increasingly be our treasure. And we, we fix our eyes on him. We, we look to him. The doxology that inspiration by the Spirit that Paul placed right at the center of this letter. The Son of God who came down, who humbled himself to death on a cross, that now is highly exalted to be worshipped. This is our path of humility. The cross-shaped life for the joy of others so that we can gain the most happiness in God and others as well. So we can rejoice in the Lord always. What a blessing and a gift this letter has been. I'm going to conclude with, with a quote from commentator Gordon Fee. I read this in our first sermon, uh, appropriate to end with. In sum, our letter invites us into the advance of the gospel, the good news about Christ and the Spirit. It points us to Christ, both for now and forever. Christ is the gospel. Christ is Savior and Lord. Thus, Christ is our life. Christ is our way of life. Christ is our future. Christ is our joy. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And all to the glory of our God and Father. Amen. So let's keep being invited into that advancing of the gospel in our hearts personally. Christ, our life. Let's keep being invited to the advancement of the gospel in our church community, in humility, and love, and unity. Let's continue to invite the advancement of the gospel from us, through us, to the world around us that needs Jesus, that we've been sent to, to be lights to a dark and broken world. Christ our life, Christ our joy, now and forever, to his glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for inviting us into your joy, the the, the triune joy of God. And by your grace, you have poured that out upon us and, and the gospel that, that traversed Asia and slowly into Macedonia where these believers heard is the same gospel that has traversed through centuries and, and landed here in Chaska and surrounding areas, Lord, that, that, that has come into our hearts, that has awakened us to your salvation, that we have seen and we believed on the Son who came down, obedient to death, even death on a cross that is highly exalted so that we could worship, so that our tongue could confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Lord, let, let us continue to, to let the advancement of the, the power of that gospel to just transform us, that we'd walk worthily of the gospel we'd become like you, Jesus, that we would love well as a community and we would, we would look outside these doors. We'd live sent to the world around us for joy, to, to, to find happiness in God, to rejoice in the Lord always, now and through eternity. We thank you for this gift. Amen.